You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has only one decade of experience, but has spent plenty of time working at Seeking Alpha, seeing how investing ideas work. We usually start with ideas from Akram's Investing, break them down, bring on guests and experts to flesh them out, and try to understand both the investing idea itself and the thinking that goes behind it. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. You can also check out Akram's work on The Razor's Edge on Seeking Alpha's Marketplace by searching for The Razor's Edge. If you have a chance to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this with a friend, we'd appreciate it. You can also reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure, The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the episode. This week's The Razor's Edge goes back out to the streets. We speak with Ali Nakfi, owner of a rideshare car supplier in New York about his experience with the COVID lockdown, what he's hearing from his customers, rideshare drivers, and the state of New York City. Well, a few work-from-home comments pop up here and there. This is an episode that's more focused on the state of Uber and Lyft's end markets and what that might mean for the broader economy. Ali is a lifelong New Yorker and has a Rolodex of celebrity encounters and Al Pacino quotes to pull from, and also knows his business. And so this is a fun conversation. For disclosures, the only relevant stock that came up was Slack, which Akram is still long. So let's get into the conversation. Ali, thanks for joining us on The Razor's Edge. Good to have you here. It is my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Before we get going into the questions, I wanted to get a little background on how long you've been in the ride-sharing Uber business. What's your background with your business there? Sure. Uh, I have been in this business for now a little over five years. Was there any background before that in any sort of taxi business or anything else? Or did no, you just... no, no. Just a series of entrepreneurial successes and failures, mostly failures. <laughs> and so just to get, you run a business that it, that is essentially a hub for sending out Uber orders, that sort sure. of. So for, for your listeners, New York City is a very unique landscape in that in New York City, if you want to drive Uber, it is not a very easy process. First and foremost, as a driver yourself, you have to have a special government commissioned taxi and limousine commission is the actual commission driver's license, which requires examination, drug tests, background check. It's very comprehensive. Now, in addition to, to having that license, for you to drive Uber in New York City, the actual vehicle that you drive has to be taxi and limousine commission license plated vehicle and it's essentially equivalent to what is known as a taxi medallion and so it's it's a special license plate as of two years ago 2018 august 6th i believe new york the new york city mayor passed into law that no more new taxi and limousine commission license plates would be issued at all so again for your viewers if for your listeners, rather, yeah. <laughs> if you're in California, if you're in Florida, majority of the states 
in our union, Uber, you can get up and running in 24 hours. You go onto the Uber app, you upload your driver's license, you upload your registration, you upload your insurance, you're on the road in 24 hours. But in New York, you have to have a special vehicle. And so what we do is we are one of the few designated companies that actually rent these vehicles to rideshare drivers so that they can go and drive with Uber, they can drive with Lyft, they can drive with Via. There are a few new rideshare companies out there as well. One of them is known as Mile. And so that's essentially what we do. So, and- so in, tech, in tech speak, you're, you're a platform turnkey solution provider for ride-sharing drivers. Yeah, in layman's you're talk- like, you're, I, you're, you're, I, you're like their Shopify. In layman's talk, I provide a fishing rod to a fisherman so he can go fish. All right, so how many, how many Uber drivers do you have? Well, again, ride-sharing drivers. Correct. It's not, they don't just drive Uber. They drive Uber and Lyft, most of them. We have 77 vehicles in our fleet. Okay. So those, those 77 vehicles, it's a rolling, like, do they contract you for, like, a, a, on, a, on a month-to-month basis, a year? How does it work? Okay, very good question. So it's a weekly rental. And so let's say someone walks into the office today, they want to rent a car, they will pay... Pre-COVID time, they will pay typically $400 a week in rent. They will also give a security deposit, which is refundable. It's not too different than than the concept of renting an apartment uh, or renting a home. You pay your rent for the, the week in advance, and you also give a security deposit. And typically, pre-COVID, we had a very strict eight-week contract. So they have to take the car for eight weeks. Otherwise, they would lose their security deposit, $400. Okay, so that's, a, that's like a minimum. Exactly. So you're kind of amortizing that across it. All right, I got you. So how did that change in COVID and why? Oh, boy. I mean, mean, are we we just going to hop right into it? Like, just to get everybody, you know, into the background here is we've been doing, Daniel and I have had several people on. I mean, obviously, it's been a while, right, since we did a couple. But in the beginning, we had stuff that was looking into, because we focus a lot on software, which has really benefited in COVID. And the dynamics and talking about how things have changed in, in, in the market, businesses have seen, you know, crazy upswings in demand, e-commerce, et cetera, et cetera. But it was also interesting to think about, like, you know, f- from a general standpoint, it, travel and tourism has taken a hit. Like, what is ground zero for, for at least from the United States standpoint, that this, this whole thing was COVID. So we hadn't really thought about getting into the non-COVID winners, the the ones that where you would think that like the, the most obvious disruption would have occurred and transportation, obviously, tourism, air travel, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's March and the pandemic hits and you're in a ride sharing business. So uh, like, what was that like? <laughs> sure. Well, it was one hell of a ride. That's for sure. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. One hell of a ride. So I remember distinctly, I was in Potomac, Maryland, March 22nd, with my wife's family, celebrating our birthday. And this was probably a week, I would say, a week into COVID becoming more and more serious. And and I'm sitting there in my car, working on my phone, and I start to hear rumblings of New York State borders about to get shut down. Crazy things. And so I returned to work the next day. And that week, you know, so we have 77 cars, guys. And thankfully, you can also liken this, this business model to almost like a hotel. You got 77 rooms. And the purpose of the business 
you know, hotel business is to keep your occupancy high and make sure everybody's paying on time. And so, or you can look at it as, you know, renting 77 apartments. Same thing. I got to make sure I wake up every morning. My priority is to make sure that my cars are at full occupancy all the time because they're cars and you do have people returning. Someone takes a car today, maybe five weeks from now, he found a better deal somewhere else. Maybe he decided to move to Virginia. Maybe he wants to go back to uh, his country of Guinea to see his wife. There's a variety of reasons. So priority is to keep the car, cars on the road. Now, thankfully, very thankfully, our occupancy rates are almost at you know, they're 99%. The cars are always out. We have maybe one to two cars come back a week, and it's very rare that we have cars sitting. And just to give you a, to give you a, physical, like, uh, a physical image, we have an office in Queens in Long Island City on basically what's a New York City street. We don't even have a garage. So imagine having 77 vehicles. You don't have a garage. So if you get 15 cars that, that come back in a single week, we got nowhere to put them. And thankfully, in these five years, we haven't had that problem. We have very high occupancy rates. Now, come to that week of COVID, during that week, I got 30 calls from my customers saying, I'm returning the car. Almost half, half of my fleet. So this is, for my business, is an epic disaster. All right? You have people returning the, call, the cars. And primarily, their reason for returning the vehicles was because they did not have the confidence that they would be able to work and make enough money just to pay the rent because New York City was a ghost town. I mean, was it already a ghost town by that point? It was. about. We're talking a week, week and a half, two weeks in to, from, from uh, as I said, my vantage point is March 23rd. That's my time, in my head, my timeline, okay. I remember. Yeah. So That's the bottom, half, that was week, the bottom of the market. Yeah. Week, week yeah. and a half, two weeks in. A majority of people just did not have the confidence. No one was going anywhere. I mean, I myself, it was like. All right. So like, what's the process? They return the third. They, they call you to return 30 cars. Where are you going to put them? Okay. So luckily we have a, you know, when we rent cars, we provide, we pay for the insurance and we also provide the maintenance. You know, majority of our cars are Toyota Camry. Just so if your listeners want to get an idea, 2016, 2017 Toyota Camrys and Honda Accords sedans so we provide the maintenance so these customers of ours when they need an oil change they go to the partner we work with our maintenance shop luckily they have a tremendous amount of street parking and on-site parking and they were generous enough to tell us that you can we have capacity for 50 cars if you want to park them here so it was a logistical nightmare you know some people were turning them there. We got to rush to the maintenance shop. We got to inspect the vehicle when they're turning the car and enter it into the system as a return. Some people were turning it at our, at our location. So it was first and foremost, logistical nightmare. Were they breaking contracts or was it mostly people had already passed the minimum or how? Mo- yeah, mostly an overwhelming majority were people that had already passed the contract. But even if they were breaking contract, ethically, I was not going to penalize them. Right. For, you know, it's a pandemic, you know, and, and so the force uh, majeure, we like, to, yeah. do the, we like to, to be empathetic and do the right thing. So for those that did break contract, we did not, uh, we returned them their refund, their deposit. And just quickly before we go on your actual exposure to, you're not taking a cut of the rides or of 
like what we think of as the customer, the people who are getting in the cars, right? It's just, you're a second derivative of that because if your drivers can't find their customers, then you're in trouble. Is that, is that, that how is absolutely the- correct? We simply rent the car to the customer who is a driver and they go and earn with Uber or Lyft or Via and they keep hundred percent of their earnings or whatever they earn. So to go, so you, the first logistical nightmare is figuring out where to actually store the cars as you have, you know, half your fleet coming back in. Right. So we solved that problem, thankfully. All right. So, but like the, the ones who are still on the road, uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's the, talk about the, those. The, I'm glad you're going to bring that up. Okay. So those that are on the road, they're calling me one by one by one by one saying, listen, I need a discount. I need, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's gotta so, be a fun conversation with you. Yeah. 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 Look, <laughs> you know, I, I, I I'm, you're a businessman. You know, I'm a businessman. And so we had to chop our, our rental fee of $400 into 200 a week. Now, 400, 200, you think, okay, it's not so bad. No, times that by 77 cars, and that's a significant impact on revenue on a weekly yeah, basis. Yeah, so like your, 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 your idle cars went up like by like to 50% almost. And then the yep. ones that are on the road lost 50% of revenue. Exactly. So you, you exactly. lost, you know, 75% of revenue. Exactly. But. I'm a problem solver and I believe in, in triumphing. And so at that point, there's also a security, a, a health risk. So you have these customers that are returning the cars. These customers are interacting with probably 50, 60, God knows how many other people on a daily basis because they're giving rides to these people and they're in a tight space. At this point, we don't know much about COVID. There's a, a hysteria going on, you know, that you go outside your house and you can get it. And so I'm on the front lines interacting with them, taking the cars back. Sure, I'm wearing a mask. Sure, I'm wearing gloves. But nonetheless, I'm putting myself at tremendous risk. Just just imagine 30 customers. And and again, how many people did they interact with? And so you could be a, you could be a super spreader. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, my family was imploring me, please, please, please don't go. See if there is there any way they can just drop the vehicle off to the garage remotely and leave the keys with the garage. And by the way, we had some customers that were not willing to even get in their car and drop the car off. They said, come please, yeah. come pick the car it's, up. It's a, it's a risk. <laughs> you, need a ha- you, need a, you need a hazmat team. So yeah, so we had to go perform that exercise as well. And I had a couple of customers that had COVID had COVID, two of them, I remember, told me they have COVID and they are quarantining so they cannot return the vehicle. So can I come please pick it up? Yeah, so they're the, the last, last on the list that you're going to see. Those cars are, are write-offs. <laughs> so I, I'm going, to, I, and I, I went and picked up those vehicles as well. Wow, so champ. I, 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 I really threw myself into, uh, you know, into the ring of fire. And so now I'm sitting in my office got 30 cars down talking and this actually led to the creation of a group it started with a whatsapp group of probably 50 60 other fleet owners in the city that never oh here we go why why not a slack channel but i like this i like this work from home remote tools go yeah we were not expecting this i was i was one of the founders of that that group called plc fleet uh, owners unite and we all started exchanging information on what our options are because everybody was going through the same thing. And so at that point, I basically had a couple of options on the table. Option one was 
the Taxi and Limousine Commission immediately created a program known as FS6. In our business, our biggest expense, hands down, is insurance. On every vehicle, we pay between $500 and $700 a month just on the insurance for every car. And the way the, the, the regulatory laws are designed in New York between the, the, you know, the DMV and the Taxi and Limousine Commission, known as the TLC, is you cannot just arbitrarily decide that, all right, well, I want to just put a little pause on my insurance. Let me just call my insurance company and say, you know what, this month for 30 days, 60 days, I just, I want to put my, my, my insurance on pause. You can't do that. It'll result in a cancellation. Uh, the cancellation then you know, gets sent to DMV. DMV cancels your registration. It is just a, a logistical nightmare. You just can't do it. So the, TL, the, the TLC, Taxi and Limousine Commission, that regulatory body that really oversees rideshare drivers and rideshare vehicles, man, they came up with a program called FS6, which would allow you to actually indeed temporarily put a pause on your insurance. You would have, to, but this would involve you surrendering your license plates, your TLC license plates, to the Taxi and Limousine Commission and putting it in storage, basically. And then when you decide that you want to take it out of storage, it is, again, a very complicated process. You have to go and get a brand new registration. You have to then go get that vehicle re-inspected at the Taxi and Limousine Commission, which could take weeks to get an appointment. And you have to pay for registration all over again. We pay hey, about five hundred dollars a year. <laughs> so a lot, uh, yeah, a lot of my colleagues, without blinking an eye, elected that option because they had the opinion, and to some degree they were correct, that this pandemic is not going away anytime soon, and business conditions are not going to get better anytime soon. That if they have 30, 40, 50 vehicles sitting down. They had no confidence whatsoever that they would be able to get these vehicles out anytime in the near future. So they elected that option. That was one option that was presented to me. The other option was reduce, just as I reduced the, the price from 400 to 200 for my existing customers, is now begin a marketing campaign online, uh, which is where a majority of our customer traffic comes from is go on an aggressive marketing campaign that no one else was doing, was market the car at $200 a week. And at $200 a week, we're basically barely breaking even. Barely breaking even. But nonetheless, to me, I thought that was a more viable option. By the way, there was one more option on the table, which I was very close to pulling the trigger on, which was there was the emergence of a company out of California that received regulatory approval to offer insurance known as parked car insurance. So they were able to offer customers like ourselves insurance on each car for about, 72, 70, about $72 a month for the vehicle, which was amazing. What they required is, and this is where some tech comes into play, we have, which is not required, but we have on each vehicle, we have a GPS tracker, all right? And at any point, not only can we see where the car is, but if a customer is not paying, we can also shut the car off through, through the app. 
And this technology has been along for a while. But nonetheless, so this company in California, they said, as long as we have access to your GPS tracker and we can see that the car is not moving, that it is indeed parked, we can provide you insurance. You don't have to surrender any license plates to anybody. You don't have to go through any regulatory hurdles. So I engaged them, and I was probably a few days away from, from sending them the money to go ahead and insure vehicles. But luckily, it took about four or five weeks from that date of March 23rd. It took about four or five weeks. But at $200 a week, I managed to get all those 30 vehicles out. I got them all out. And so to me, at the time, that was a victory because that means I saved my business. I saved my business and it was surviving. It was not thriving, but it was surviving. And so that essentially was, was what we did. Now, fast forward another month or so. And by the way, at that time, when we were charging 200, again, the conditions were not good for customers uh, in terms of not only from a health standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint. No one's going anywhere in Manhattan. No one's coming into work. No one's coming in from New Jersey. No one's coming in from Long Island. Theaters are closed. Restaurants are closed. Everything, everything is closed. Who's going anywhere? Okay. But conditions got better. And so about a month into it, we raised the prices to 250 Then about another month later, we raised the prices to 300 And we are still at 300 Am I happy? No, I'm not. Because this whole year, I average about a loss of about $28,000 a month in revenue, gross revenue coming in. So we're talking April, May, June, July, August, September. We're now in October. That's seven months times close to $30,000, $210,000 gone. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And when you think about from the, your customer perspective, we're saying that at its worst, the $200 rate, like at the bottom of the pandemic was still, so we're talking about 50, probably a little bit more than 50% drop off in rides. Is that right? And then sort of backing that out, it's we're back at like 75% may, you know, give or take, depending on how risk averse they are as far as can they make up for that. But that's sort of how to think about just the, the demand ebb and flow in the city is that. Do you have visibility into their da their daily ride volume? No, we don't. We used to. We used to have a platform where customers. Right now, the way that the way our business is set up is, anyone walks into the the office, wants to rent the car, they pay the first week, they pay the security deposit, and then if today's a Saturday and they want to rent the car, that means the next payment will be be due next Saturday. They send us a Zelle. They send us Zelle or Cash App every week. They don't need to come into the office to pay. However, before our business model was structured a little different, we had a structure where customer would come into the office and say, I want to rent a car. We say, okay, well, before we rent you the car, you need to take this document and take it to the Uber office, the Uber Greenlight Hub, which is down the street from us. And essentially, they would be authorizing us to receive their full earnings on a weekly basis. So if a customer took it- that's where, that's where you actually kind of get into this whole Uber debate, by the way, in oh, California, oh, agency okay. versus employee right. sure. versus exactly. middleman. So the, the customer would authorize their full earnings come to us. So on a weekly basis, we would log into our Uber dashboard and we would see, okay, 
Yeah, it's like you're, you're like a secured lender, yeah. essentially, yeah, at I that point. Say that. So we see Jim Brown made $2,200 this week. All right, so we deduct our $400 of rent, and then we write him a check for $1,800, and we go ahead and deposit that in his bank account. When we had that platform, we could log in and see every customer's activity, detailed, comprehensive activity of how many rides he gave, what the cost of each ride was. Yeah, so you know who's performing well, who's not based on sure, that. Sure, sure. But we uh, we decided to move away from that system. Yeah, so like you guys got what moved away from it? Or it was like an Uber decision or what? No, it was our decision. It was solely our decision. Yeah, I'm sure they prefer that. I'm sure the, the drivers prefer the, this setup. Absolutely. Absolutely, they do. Because they, you know, a lot of them... Yeah, you're, they're, they're not like, uh, they're independent contractors. Exactly. And, and this way, they're able to cash out daily from Uber. So they don't have to wait to the end of the week to get a check from us. Yeah, no, that makes sense from a payment standpoint. But if we were like, as Daniel was saying in terms of, so you're, you're back to 300 and your occupancy rate is now back up to like is over 90%. It's been, it's been at a, like right now, just to give you an idea, I only have one vehicle available at a 77. Okay. And that's going to, that's going to go out on Monday. So, all right. so, all so at what point, at what point did you get back to from an occupancy standpoint over 90%? About four, four, I would say within four a to month. five weeks from March. Okay, so it's, uh, all right. So, so, so it, was pre- it was, it was pretty quick. So, I mean, like, when you consider New York, and obviously, I, I mean, I have a lot of friends other than you in the city, and I mean, we've talked to a bunch of people, at, you know, peak pandemic when you think about like May and into like early June, but like I, actually May was at peak pandemic April. Let's, 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 let's call it April. Yep. That's when all the chaos was going on. But by like, uh, by, by what's it called? Memorial Day, there was that little like kind of jailbreak type of mentality. Summer's here and it's over and type of thing that started initially. Sure. But if, if you think about, that window you're saying that like, so the period where things were idle was essentially about five weeks. Yes. And then, and then you're saying you got back to full capacity, but just at reduced rates. Right. And you've slowly been working your way back up on that. So it's like, that's essentially been, you know, like uh, the, the elasticity type of element of demand, but like, so to give to, to give our listeners some context, what geographical area are, are your drivers covering? I mean, like, Five are we boroughs. talking five, five, five boroughs? So it's not like Jersey or uh, way outside of New York. It's all just, it's it's the five boroughs. Yep. That's where they conduct their business. We have some customers that live in New Jersey, but there is no business in New Jersey. Uh, there is obviously rideshare business, but a rideshare driver in New Jersey probably make, makes way less than 50% of what a rideshare driver can make in New York City. Okay. So that, that's obviously a big arbitrage for them too. So it was, by the way, before, I mean, I know Daniel's got a bunch of questions as far as the, the, the dynamics with, the, with, 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 you know, what the drivers have experienced. And I, I like I, you, you reached out and, and, and talked to a bunch of your drivers. Yeah, I, I spoke but, to several of them, yeah. But if you were to tell us in terms of the, the Uber role, have you had any interaction with Uber, the company or Lyft, the company? Like, the, where, did they reach out to support? Like, was there anything that went on there? No, and- I have to say Uber is, I have had a very bad experience with Uber as an organization. I think they are an extremely disorganized, disorganized company with horrible leadership. I, I, I it's just, uh, it's I a nightmare. Remember, Ali, you're on the radio. It's going to be broadcast, but that's fine. Keep going. It's okay. So uh, have you found that to change over? They obviously, I mean, their management shift was years ago, but still, 
Like, has that, have you noticed a change no. over time or has that been pretty consistent? I mean, do you, like, I, like, I mean, you don't really interact with them at all. So, I mean, no, it's kind of like, to, but I know I used yeah, to, okay. I used to interact okay. with them a lot when we had that, that the platform that I told that you. Set up. As, okay. I got yeah, you. Known, yeah. known as being an Uber fleet partner. The reason I'm asking, and Daniel, the reason I brought this up was I, I remember listening to uh, Chesky Airbnb on Kara Swisher on Pivot, like April or whatever. It was, it was a really good podcast. And and they they came out quickly, you know, and sent money out, you know, provided liquidity, you know, like in terms of the payment protection program and things that occurred, once they, ha- they were able to access capital and, you know, they sent some liquidity out to their posts, uh, post, that's what you call them, right? And uh, I was curious because I, I mean, I haven't looked at, you know, obviously this pandemic is just with what's gone on economically, things are just so wild. Like you, you think about something for a second and then it's like, oh, used car prices went up or kitchenware did this or, you know, when you were telling me the, the, the best one was your story about the, the pool guy, right? And he was telling you it's his, the best his business has been in what, like 20 years? Yeah, he said it was booming. He said he's never been busier. He said that the mentality that he... uh he kind of grasped from his customers. He said, you know, 9-11 happened. Uh, economy took a hit. People were holding on to their money. They were not spending on home improvement. Then he said the recession of 08 came. Same thing. People were holding on to their money. He said this time around, people said, just heck, you know, heck with it. I don't care. I am going to spend on home improvement. And uh, he said he, he had never been busier before. So, I mean, yeah, exactly that point. So going back to that, like, it's very hard to follow things very closely with what's been happening. So like, I haven't seen anything out of Uber and Lyft. Like if there were like, I, I'm sure that maybe there's a press release or maybe they did something or maybe you heard from your drivers, but that's why I was asking you. So, I mean, obviously your experience is. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't know if you want to spend any time in me talking about uh, why I think they're extremely disorganized and have really, really detestable poor leadership across the board. And I'm I'm not, I'm not (laughs) talking about, and I'm not talking about, I'm just talking about as a customer, I'm talking about if I could say the same thing about Hilton hotels or Chase bank or TD bank, I'm talking strictly as a, as a, as a customer, I'm not talking about analyzing or their business policies or how they act towards, 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 you know, towards their drivers. But not Apple. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, All right, but, that's an inside but, joke. Cause he, he loves his Pacino. But uh, but, but you're not, you're Uber, not gonna you criticize know. Apple's customer service. Yeah. If I was the man I was ten years ago, I'd walk into Uber and throw a flamethrower at that plane. <laughs> All right, that's I think that's. that's I mean, that's, I, 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 have you have, have you seen Al Pacino lately? By the way, side topic. I, I wish <laughs> he just he just celebrated his 80th birthday in April. And because of the pandemic and because of his uh, his older age, he's been in lockdown. So I have not had the great pleasure of meeting the prophet. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a little side story, uh, Daniel. Uh, Ali manages to uh, he networks his ways into into the the, the Hollywood scene. So you know, you you, will, you won't be shocked to to have him run into Big Al or Robert De Niro. Wow, not bad names to run into. And he can do possibly the best Santo of a woman uh, <laughs> monologue from uh, the the ending scene where Al stands up for uh, what's his name? Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, yeah. Charlie. Char- Charlie. 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 Been a while yeah. since I've. Baird man. All right, sorry, we interrupted you. We got off topic. Uh, back to like, yeah. So, yes, right. you had, so you... Uber. Just so you know, you're asking me, did they reach out to me? No. <clears throat> Uber jumped ship. They closed down. 
uh, and they were closed down. And I, I believe that uh, as of a few weeks ago, maybe uh, maybe a month, month, month and a half ago, they reopened by appointment only. But they jumped ship. Their main office there in Long Island City, where all these rideshare drivers have to go to, you know, get credited to come in and, and not credited, but, you know, any issues they're having, that's where they go. On a normal day, you can see 300, 400 people in there. You know, it's a giant building, but they jumped but did, So, so they, that office was closed. Did they, I, I think the answer is no, but did they set up any, again, work from home or any online setup to? No, no, no. They have, they have an 800 customer service okay. number that is based in the Philippines. And again, that customer service is detestable. You can call with one issue and speak to five different customer service representatives on five different phone calls. You get a different answer every time. So that's when I talk about the leadership and that's when I talk about the extremely poor experiences. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They have no idea. The scent of a woman, it's like, you know, they said what? Too much football without a helmet? (laughs) I mean, this is great because I just have everything I read about Uber makes me not like them. And so you are just confirming every bias that I have had about the company. Yeah. Well, look, look, in 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 theory, it's been a sprint of a business, right? I mean, like you're going to run into like I, it's not going to be sh- shocking that there is growing pains when uh, you are essentially, you know, you're on the growth treadmill. That's what they've been. That was the criticism of it once upon a time pre-COVID when when people criticized the or looked closely at the fundamentals of a business, that was part of what it got a hard time for. But look, I mean, it's changed the landscape in New York City, right? So Sure, look, I think it's a fair assessment to say, okay, well, you know, give them a little slack because essentially that's what you're saying is cut them a little slack because they just started. But I'm the open philosophy is that, listen, my father told me one time, he said, look, either you do business or you don't do business. And so what he meant by that is you either provide good customer service or you don't do business at all. And so that's, that's very, that's like, that's very good fellas ask. You're either in the family or you're out. <laughs> So, uh, you know, so yeah. All right. In contrast to them, what about Lyft? You love those guys? I, 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 candidly, I haven't had much interaction with Lyft. Okay. I haven't had much interaction with them, so I cannot, uh, confirm nor deny. All right. We don't want, we don't want, we, we, we you know, we right. want to be fair to right. all parties. If there's, if there's garbage to air on all parties, we should be airing it here and not letting it off the hook. Okay, so you're not getting support from above. You're so. Yeah, I mean, look, you cut the deposit. You did what you need to do while your drivers in the pandemic. We were just out. I mean, we we started this whole thing to basically get a sense of if you know there was any extra support provided for this business from the plat the giant platform players. No, 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 no. And, and just okay. as a quick aside, when I was renting those cars out at two hundred, trying to get them out the door, trying to to, to you know keep my business alive. I had to forego taking my usual $400 security deposit that I take. And that $400 security deposit I take, which is refundable for damages. So this way, when the customer takes the car, he knows or she knows that, listen, I got to take care of this car because if not, when I bring it back, there's a, there's a huge dent or a bumper missing. Well, I'm going to be responsible for the payment. Customers did not have that kind of disposable income to give the $400 security deposit. And so I didn't ask for it and it came back to bite me because a lot of customers have brought the cars back with damage and I don't have much recourse. 
Well, and this is also where we started. And you're you had mentioned that you used to require eight weeks. I imagine what what is what is the commitment? Very good question. Very good question. So right now we're at three weeks uh, minimum. But essentially, when we were we were getting these cars out during those five weeks, when we had thirty cars down, is I didn't even require a, a, a minimum. I said, if you want to take it for a week, you can take it for a week. I just wanted to get the cars out and start generating revenue because I have I have an exposure of uh, six hundred six hundred dollars a month times seventy seven. You know, close to forty five. $45,000 a month is my, uh, is, is a bill that I have to pay. So when you, you start to see the turn in, I think you said four to five weeks after March 23rd, you've kind of adjusted. Uh, so like May, beginning of May. It stabilized. It stabilized. And it's been stable. After that, those cars got out and it became stable. I left New York, uh, went to my parents' house in Princeton, New Jersey, and I was working from the pool every day. Had a, a manager that was in the office still running operations for any cars coming back and going out. But nonetheless, there was enough business traffic coming through the door that I knew the business was back, back and stabilized again. And as you got him back to $300, is it that the same cohort of, of types of renters? Are they, did they push back at all as you, have you started to come back up? Like, do you have, is it the same type of driver that you've had when it was pre-COVID, post-COVID? Or has there been like a lot of churn? Very good question. No, I would say that the profile of the customer is the same. Someone who is a professional driver, right? Someone who, this is, this is their bread and butter. They need that car to go and earn, to pay their rent, to pay for food, to pay, provide for their family if they have one, to pay for clothes, yeah. basic necessities. Oh, you got it. So the profile, is, the profile is the same. If anything, I, 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 I like to be positive in, in, in any situation. If anything, it actually gave me better customers because if you have a customer who's willing to go and work during a, a pandemic and put themselves at risk, that means they're really, they're, they're soldiers, man. You know, they're, they're brave, brave people that are committed to working hard. And so the, the profile of the customer, we, we had a ushering of, and, and the ethnicity, by the way, a majority of these people who had this, uh, mentality that said, Hey, look, it's, it's pandemic, but I'm going to work. I'm going to, whatever I got to do. Majority of the, the ethnic profile is people from West Africa. So we're talking the countries of Guinea, primarily Senegal and Ivory coast. And so it is a, uh, and it, it is an honor, an honor to have them as customers. So that's been a, a very positive thing. My, the profile, ethnic profile of my, of my, uh, of my customer base, you know, became, I don't know, within, because of COVID, I would say maybe close to 40, 40, 45% of, uh, from, from this area. That's interesting. Okay. That's interesting. What about, did you have to incur any expenses as far? I, I mean, I, I usually take cabs in New York and they usually have a panel already, but did you have to do any outfit your cars anyway to sort of sterilize? No, no, we didn't. No, we, we, I mean, no, I mean, those are, you know, minor expenses. When vehicles came back, we, you know, we just sanitized them. But there were some customers that requested us to put a partition, a plastic partition in the vehicle. Unfortunately, because of our, our existing restrained cost, uh, 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 you know, our existing, you know, uh, restraints uh, on our business, we just unfortunately didn't have the budget to go ahead and incur that expense. You know, it could be about $150 per partition. 
So we told customers they're welcome to go and, uh, and get it installed themselves, but we unfortunately, very regrettably, cannot... Uh, well, cannot I mean, like, everyone's wearing a mask, right? Isn't that, like, the situation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, is that a protocol, by the way, now, like, as far as in I terms of the, the if riders? It is, if, if it is, I don't know how well it's enforced because I've taken, I've taken plenty of Ubers now where, you know, the, the driver has not asked me to put on a mask. As I'm sitting in the back. Interesting. You know? That's huh. That's surprising in New York, actually. So what were you hearing as things start to stabilize and as they're starting to come back? Like, what does that I know you're a step removed from this, but what were you hearing as far as who's in the cars? Because that's what we're you know, we're interested in hearing like there are so many yeah, I levels. Mean, like, that who's, got hit. who's taking yeah. them? When I think about New York, Daniel, like I'm just like, or San Francisco, you know, chatting with Justin. And I know you guys now over there in Spain are in a lockdown. Well, in right? Madrid, they've, it's like a, it's Madrid, not, it's not a March, April lockdown, but they've, they've kind of cordoned off the city because that's where the biggest outbreak is right now. Yeah. So like, if you think about, if I think about New York City and seeing Times Square, like, you know, to me, it's like Vanilla Sky, right? Like that's the movie that, that I always associate with. An empty. Well, there's another one. What's the? You could do what's his name, Will Smith, and I am legend. Sure, right. Yeah, but but when I think about like an empty New York City, and you, it only took you five weeks to get all these cars back occupied, and and you know, like you're saying, you got you got you got some soldier uh, type customers who you know they need to put food on the table. I'm just wondering, like, what's like, where is the demand coming from? So like I can't go out in Manhattan, I can't party in Manhattan, like yeah. you know I can't like these types of things that like I'm not going to be able to go to the, the theater. I can't go, you know, like there's I'm just so many things home. that are have been restricted, and you know, and yeah, and and you've got all this like you've got the finance whatever world that's just like left the city, right? They're doing their like they're either in the suburbs or they moved out and they're all working remotely, so they're they're not trading from the hedge fund universe. Uh, that is what what was Sasbro calling them the the Patagonia bo- the bros, so like everyone's everyone's like like uh, who's who's taking who who's commuting in, in, uh, around uh, with with Uber? That's a very good question, and uh, you know upon asking uh, my customers, they just say local New Yorkers. You know, someone who's going to go see uh, who's tired of being cooped up in the house and they want to go see a friend. Uh, now, you know, with, when restaurants opened up. For outdoor dining, I don't remember the exact date that was. I believe September 30th was when New York City opened up the indoor dining at a capacity of 25%. And now you do have people that are going place to place for recreational purposes. And so I would say that the majority of the riders are people. I mean, of course, there are some people working. Sure, of course, there's, there's industries that are open. But majority, I would, I would hypothesize, are rec, you know, strictly recreational local New Yorkers. I mean, has, have any of them said anything with respect to uh, mass transit? Is that like, if, I, if I'm not comfortable with the bus or the subway, I take an Uber? Yeah, a, a lot of share. people, absolutely. You know, upon asking my customers, they said that they, for safety reasons, are not, are not taking subway, are not t- taking a bus. I mean, have you taken the subway or a bus? I have not. I have not. My my uh, the gentleman who manages my business, he contrastly takes two subways and a bus every single day, five days a week. 
to the office. I mean, the guy, the person we had on was saying that he'd seen the subway kind of getting back to normal. So recently, at least he was saying, you know, uh, uh, right, towards the end of August, did, did, I think. Did call, yeah. Well, all great things of this earth flow into the city. Why? Because of the city's greatness. We were great once. We can well, be great so again. that's so, but like also airport traffic must be a big part of the business normally and also totally that likes, and I would imagine still pretty like business travel. If you think about something that's business travel is such an interesting one because a lot of people think that that's actually going to stay down. What have you, have you heard anything about the airport routes or about, you know, even. Uh, it's down. It's down. Uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously there are people traveling. I mean, look, I travel, I'm, I'm right now I'm in Michigan. Oh, where? Uh, on, 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 in, uh, I am in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Oh, there you go. There you go, West Michigan. Um, for uh, <laughs> for a, you know, a, a new area of business that uh, that I've started, which is real estate investment, specifically with the focus of buying tax deeds and tax liens. Uh, you know, people that haven't uh, paid their property taxes and their their house gets seized by uh, by the state government and then gets auctioned off, which I think is only gonna the opportunity is only gonna increase. Uh, because of COVID, because, uh, you know, I, uh, I foresee a lot of people, unfortunately, not being, okay. sadly, not being able to, to pay their, uh, their property tax. But um, nonetheless, when I got in the plane, it, there wasn't a single seat uh, uh, vacant. Uh, and there also were, I, you know, there was no. I mean, obviously, that's, that's I mean, they're, they're down what on capacity, right? Like, I mean, they've idled so much. So that's that's uh, that's always the question. Were you right? on a plane where they were blocking out the middle seat, or was the middle seat available? No, no. I was sitting next to someone. It was a connecting flight, and on both flights, there wasn't a single seat available. There was there was no partition. There was nothing. There were there were no security measures in place on the actual plane, except for people wearing uh, their own mask. That's it. As far as you, on your Uber and drivers, like they're they're still saying that traffic to manhattan for pickups and drop-offs for laguardia and, and uh what's it's it down. called jfk it's, it's, it's significantly down for sure for sure you know i i asked the customer in august said how's business because typically a rideshare driver who works 10 hours a day six days a week can take home two thousand dollars a week from uber okay so, or Lyft or Uber and Lyft together. So that's 8,000 a month. And that 8,000 is after they have also paid their cut to Uber and Lyft. I think Uber takes 37%, I think is the number. I'm not sure about Lyft. I would venture to say it's in the same neighborhood, but 8,000 is their takeaway. Now, of course, they have to pay us about 1,600 of that a month. They have to pay for gas, car washes. But uh, the customer said to me that in August, that business was 75% back to normal. So, you know, whatever 75% of uh, 2000 a week is, that's what they were making. Now, and I don't know the reason, as of September, as soon as September, I said August, actually, well, more so September, but as soon as September came, uh, my customers are constantly complaining that the business is dead. There's no business out there. The business is dead. I haven't gotten a numerical figure but they're complaining. One of the reasons that I hypothesize that could be is a lot of these rideshare uh, drivers 
they took advantage of the uh, of the unemployment. So they were not working, and the pandemic pandemic unemployment assistance. Okay, yeah, that, that, that happened. We didn't even get into that, Daniel. Right? PPP right. motivation. Right. So the pandemic unemployment assistance, the extra six hundred dollars a week, was a short span. It was from March, I believe, March fifteenth to July thirty first. Yeah. So ended August one. Right. Now I know in New York State they went ahead and um, I, I, I'm pretty certain they went in again, they got another approval for $300 a week. I don't know if that was only for a three-week period or that's going to go until September or sorry, until the end of the year. I'm not certain on that. But nonetheless, what happened was, this I know for sure, is once that unemployment ended, same rideshare driver said, well, I can't stay at home now and, and get a check from Uncle Sam. I got to I got to work again. So you had a but great- But were they able to apply? I don't understand. You're not an yeah, employee. They okay. They were. Even at 1099, 1099, they were. So let's just say, hypothetically, prior to, during this pandemic unemployment assistance, uh, March 15th to July 31st, let's just say there were 30,000 rideshare drivers in New York City, well, that were not taking unemployment. July 31st comes, unemployment ends. Instantly, you now have probably 60,000 rideshare drivers back on the road trying to work. And so the volume of business got diluted. So for that reason. Yeah, so this is like the same, like this is where, you know, Daniel, where we go back to, you know, it's crazy COVID. People want to be like, oh, it's booming. But, eh, you know, by the way, have you looked into selling? You know, used car prices are through the roof. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. Used car prices are like, it's, there's, it's the greatest used car shortage in the history of used car shortages. I, I guess I was, uh, I was astute in that at uh, the very beginning of COVID, I went and, and got two cars and uh, I negotiated unbelievable prices for myself. <laughs> Buying at the beginning of COVID in just about any asset class seems to have done well. For yeah. I picked, up, I picked up an Aston Martin that was going for 3500 a month lease and I got it for 2100 uh-huh. That is a haircut, <laughs> but I think it's yeah. It, it's so what we're saying, what we're seeing is that so we had earlier said okay, seventy five percent, but that is because there's less supply in the market. Now supply comes rushing back, and we realize that the true demand is somewhere meaningfully lower yeah, than seventy five percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. I would say fifty to sixty. Where do you see this going? God, let me tell you something about God. <laughs> Devil's advocate. Uh, but, you know, but uh, he, he's, a, he's prankster. a prankster. <laughs> he's a prankster. Look, but don't touch. Touch, but don't taste. Taste, don't swallow. And while you're jumping from one foot to the other, what is he doing? He's laughing his sick ass off. <laughs> Yeah. So, what 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 is God telling you about the uh, the outlook for uh, okay? You know, so tourism I, I think, in Manhattan. I, I think I think there's some optimism here. Upon speaking to rideshare customers, I said, "Look, right now it's fall. It was summer. People are still walking place to place to place, walking in Manhattan. Once November hits and it starts to get cold, even now, but more so November, December, winter, the volume is certainly going to go up. And I'm hoping." that the actual rideshare customer can get more money so that we can also uh, justify getting back to what our normal standard prices are for car rent. 
Well, what's it, you mentioned earlier to go to the COVID itself, you mentioned a couple of your drivers did get sick early on, but have you heard anything? Because my sense is that taxis and ride shares are not not a source of major spreading for obvious reasons. You're only talking about a couple people at a time. You wear a mask. It's a short duration. And that's where, again, with with crazy COVID and these sort of crosswinds, driving is, I mean, I know for myself, I this summer, the one trip I, the one main trip I took was I drove myself instead of taking a train or a plane. I, we're talking about doing another road trip. Like people are getting in cars more because it is a more contained unit. Is that what you're, is that sort of matching with what you're seeing and part of why you think that this might play out better for you in the, along with the weather helping in New York? Part of what seems to be playing in your advantage is that going in a ride share is safer than the other alternatives for moving around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, absolutely. From the absolutely. COVID perspective. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you still have uh, people, especially in the beginning, I think people were still afraid to take, take it over even then because they were in a tight space and they know with the driver and they know that, a, you know, there have been dozens. Oh, upon da dozens da of Daniel, Daniel's point is actually the flip, the flip side. He's what he's trying to say is that, 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 because they don't want to be on mass transit, like crowded in with bodies, like sit, getting in the back of a, a ride share with the mask on is safer. Yeah. I, like I, based I, on what I, we absolutely. know now, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's that's 100% accurate. I mean, if someone who was normally taking the subway is now going to take an Uber, for sure. But as far as, yes, your, your point of initially, like, yes, being scared to go anywhere initially, yeah, we, we like that obviously made sense. But like, how long again did that last? Right. I mean, you saw, you know, people like in early May. I mean, it just uh, everybody, you know, you can't you can't coop people up for very long, no matter what. And I mean, that's kind of been that's been the struggle with it. You know, like there is the argument that, you know, like what's his name? Ackman made at, at one point you could you could kill the whole disease if nobody interacts with anybody for two weeks. But how hard is that to do? Now, look, I mean, the, the question is, did China successfully manage to pull that off with what they did when they, when they locked down Wuhan? And I mean, look, you know, it's it's I mean, it's it's debatable, but like it seems to be that, you know, you know, they have one point five billion people. You, that we would think we'd be we'd be hearing more about it. So like that, that must have worked. But like those people were like in prison. You couldn't go outside, you know. Right. So there is there is there is that element to it. So when you think about it. There's been, I don't know how much you followed about this. And we actually, like Daniel and I talked about it the last time. Like there was an article written by James Altucher about, you know, like the end of New York, people moving out, you know, uh, the, you know, no theater, no tourism, you know, finance is, a, is a, I mean, a, a, probably the most re remote potential business you can do trading the stock market, you, you know, can be done anywhere. And uh, that, those elements of things. And then Jerry Seinfeld kind of had a, uh, where was it? The where did Jerry reply? Was it? he might have been in the, the Times? The time. I think it was in the Times. Yeah, yeah. And Jerry, the ultimate New Yorker, obviously, you know, defended the city. So, like, you know, you've lived in New York most of your life. What are your thoughts on this? And, and as a business owner there, with sure. you know, good visibility on it. I mean, are you looking to move away? Do you think you do you think this is something that by next summer is in the past or has human behavior shifted to the point where it's like, I don't want to live in the city. 
well, if, you know, to, to embrace idealism uh, for a moment and to go back to that monologue, that the dynamic Al Pacino gives in, uh, in the movie City Hall, uh, where he talks about uh, Pericles, perhaps the last, uh, the last great mayor of Athens. He says, all great things of this earth flow into the city. Why? Because of the city's greatness. And why can't we be great again? We will. We'll, we will rise. We won't fall. I choose to live, not die. And so I think, you know, New York City has been referred to as the center of the universe. Uh, I, I think in the long term, New York City will be back to that greatness. However, at the same time, if I want to embla- embrace realism for a moment, you know, you look at some of these articles that talk about the, the statistics on, you know, these moving companies, they're up 90, 80, 90% on business from the previous year. And there's been a, a mass exodus. It's not a, it's not a miss. This mass exodus is a reality. I live in Tribeca. I see the moving, moving trucks downstairs every single day in line. People are moving. And I think it wasn't just, I don't think it was just COVID. I think COVID obviously, without a doubt, was the catalyst. Then you had a couple of days of riot. And at that point, I think people said, look, man, I just got to get out of here. I said, the people are saying, what am I doing here? Right? I am, you know, using Zoom to call into work. I don't need to go to the office. The city is dead. There's no one around. The restaurants close at 11 o'clock. It's not anymore the city that doesn't sleep. It's the city that's sleeping. And so what am I doing here? I'm paying ridiculous amounts of money for rent, for food, for everything, and for transport, for everything else. And particularly people that have, you know, that have families and have children. New York City is dead right now. There's no denying. It's dead. Sure, there is some, some, some semblance of life. You know, you see people at, at restaurants, you see people in the parks, but it's not certainly not the New York City that it, was, it once was. I th- and again, I think even a year from now, I think you'll see a minimal comeback. People coming back to work, businesses reopening, maybe 20, uh, 20 to 25% more than what it is now, you know? You can take this either as a personal direction or you're just sort of general thoughts. You're, for example, in Kalamazoo now. We're talking about, there's this sort of, at some point, and I don't know if it's going to be, it's not going to be probably, almost certainly not going to be this sort of movie like, oh, COVID is solved, the vaccine is out, everybody has it, we can return to normal, but... Are you saying that it won't disappear? (laughs) I gotta say, you've, you've got that down. But yeah, you know, like it's going to, I I still believe that 2022 or whatever, the, at some point we, we get over 95% of this and we're functioning in some new normal world. And I guess my question is, do you think enough people are going to have moved either back to the Kalamazoo's of the world or to the Kalamazoo's of the world or out to Long Island or upstate or what? Like, do you think that? How much do you think this well, is I mean, impatience? I, I, and how I, don't much? Th- I don't think Ali has any plans of moving to Kalamazoo. No, that's for sure. No. <laughs> he'll, he'll last five minutes there. You're pretty close to Lake Michigan. I mean, you know, you could be worse. But uh, yeah. But, but what do you think? Like, what do you think? Do you think that there's how much of this do you think is just people who are able to get out of the city for the time being and are 
you know, look, there, there's there's a lot of people that are native. There's, I'll, I'll give you both both sides of the coin. I mean, you know, I consider myself a native New York. I was born in New York. I grew up grew up majority of my life an hour away in Princeton, New Jersey. But uh, since uh, 2004, I've been I've had residence in Manhattan. So we're talking 16 years. For me, this is home. My family is my mother, my father, my brother, and my business is here too. Now, I could manage my business remotely. You know, I, as I said, I was in Princeton, New Jersey for the better part of four months, June, July, August, September, managing my business remotely. There was someone in my office running my office. As a permanent move, no. COVID and, and the demise of New York City has not mo- motivated me to enough to say, well, heck with New York City, I'm getting out of here permanently. So, and I think a lot of other people like myself share that worldview. People that have lived here their whole life. People like Robert De Niro. I ran into him a few weeks ago. He's not going anywhere. He's staying put. But then on the flip side, you have some native New Yorkers that are fed up. I have two friends of mine that are real estate titans in New York. They've grown up here their whole life. Both have families. And they picked up and moved to Florida. They're going to try it out for a year and see. Is crime an issue? Like... Has it picked, like, I mean, you always hear different t- sides on this, sure. and, but yeah, look, is it something I, where, like, you know, I've seen some extreme things, you know, we've seen snippets of it and the news is what the news is today on, on both ends. But, like, the, well, is this got, something that people you, complain about? Uh, yeah, customers? Yeah, right? Well, on crime, look, the easiest way to answer that question is obviously to look at statistics, look at homicides, look at the crime rate in the five boroughs. And that's uh, data which I would assume is, is, is easily, you know, easily available and well-publicized. I have seen, with my own eyes, I have seen, I never saw it before. I was in, you know, in the, a block from Madison Square Garden, and there were, you know, six, six, home, six seven, eight homeless people almost in a, in a, a like, like a park, like, you know, to reference the, the movie Panic in Needle Park, one of Pacino's first movies <laughs> about when the, the heroin epi- epidemic in the 1970s. I have never seen that. Seven homeless people and police just watching by. There were two police vans and they were just there watching as these seven home, you know, homeless people, may God help their soul, were shooting heroin and were zombies. And I've had friends of mine that live on the east side that also said, shared with me, they said he, he saw one guy running after another with a knife. You know, so What are you talking about? Rick, Rick Moranis, Ghostbusters. I mean, that yeah. was in the news. He's just walking, he's walking in, in New York City and, and, and some dude just punched him. Right, <laughs> right. And I mean, like that, that was, that was all over Twitter, uh, like last week, which, you know, I mean, like people are just like, I mean, what's his name? Uh, Chris Evans came out and was, was just like, Captain America is like, uh, uh, get, find that guy, right? Who hit him? Like who, nobody, nobody hits Rick Moranis. And I mean, like, that's kind of like, uh, I mean, like, it's just like, a, I mean, again, like, blown out of proportion maybe because violence happens and we're in the era, the era of camera phones and like you know people i mean I, there was a time period you know in the 80s when riot park was a drug haven right so it's not like before it was where david blaine you know was was standing on a on a pole and uh, you know everybody's in, enjoying lunch in the afternoon and it was you know you you would find needles in bryant park right, right. so like it, it, these things obviously do go in waves and these are things that happen, you know, uh, economically and certain things that occur. But I mean, yeah, is like, is that something when you talk to people in the city, 
when they want to leave, do they cite that or is it just like they're just kind of fed up? No, I, 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 in my interactions with fellow New Yorkers, I have not, uh, I have not heard crime being cited as an issue. I think, again, I think the riots, uh, and I, I myself actually, one day, I wish I could share the video with you. There was a curfew, as you know, for about a, about a week or so that was imposed. And I think it was seven o'clock or eight o'clock was the curfew. And I left my office a little bit late. And so I, I was maybe five, six blocks from my apartment at about 8.03 p.m., three minutes after the curfew. And this is, you know, right after the, the George Floyd was murdered. Uh, you had peaceful, peaceful protesters who were violating their peaceful protesters, but nonetheless, they were violating the curfew. They took to the streets and I was driving on the West Side Highway and I happened to just run into hundreds and hundreds of protesters that had just taken over the streets. And then the riot police came out. I saw them just beating people up, taking them down, arresting them. Really, really, really just really throwing people to the ground, being violent and aggressive for, in my opinion, was an unwarranted, completely unwarranted reason. And so that was, it was for me, my 40 years of life, it was the closest thing I have been to in a uh, closest thing to what I would imagine what a war is. You know, that half an hour I was in, in that scene was the closest thing I've ever seen to war. And so I'm sure that's, that's, that scared people. I'm sure that scared people. I really think that, that was a huge, huge catalyst. It was the, 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 the straw, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, which led people to leave. But I don't think, I haven't heard from people that crime is a, is a reason to leave right now. It's because the city's dead. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, that's without question. And the cost, you know, and quality of life. How does it compare to 08, 09, as far as like in the Great Recession, were you seeing, do, do, how does it feel? Obviously, there's on the surface, the lockdown elements, the health elements, and then the social unrest elements. But like, where was is there any echo for you of what the city was like then in terms of concerns, or is it just a totally different situation? You know, I, I candidly, I, 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 you know, in in oh eight, oh nine, I, I, it was not visible. I mean, businesses weren't shutting down. I didn't see any businesses shutting down. I didn't see restaurants closing. I didn't see a curfew at eleven o'clock. I didn't see uh, Times Square. I drove through Times Square during COVID. There wasn't one person on the road, not one person. Times Square, Times Square, not a single body. Vanilla Sky, Vanilla Sky. You, you, know? should have, you should have, you should have made a movie. So I, I think there's absolutely no. They're not even in the same universe, man. Yeah. 08, 09 to, to you know. I mean, we've discussed that. You know, people like it, you know, people always want to draw the comparisons and at least economically right and it is it's very very different because you've 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 transferred one part of the economy away from the other right it's like a it's a big pie shift right you know winners and losers and in, in, in like that that was like just kind of forced down someone's throat really quickly and i mean there's some element of it that's like you know fascinating to people where it's like you know amazon.com is booming we saw there was this guy who, uh, an Amazon seller, had posted his his like his entire his, his entire 
profit and loss statement, his income statement, eight-figure Amazon seller sells like, you know, seven, eight million dollars worth of goods annually. And for a decade, he's consistently made between about 150000 and $250,000 from his business, right? At, on the bottom okay. line. No, no, annually, oh. right? I'm not trying to give you any business ideas here. Yeah, man. So, <laughs> yeah. I was going to have to get going. <laughs> well, I'll tell you now, what, what do you think his PNL? So last year, through nine, nine months in, through August, his PNL was, I'm looking at it now, it was uh, $130,000 or so. Net profit? And, yeah, net profit after everything. And he breaks everything out cost-wise. Okay. What do you think his PNL is this year? Well, I mean, the year is not over, right? So well, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm saying, I'm saying year to date where projected, he's at. Projected. Yes. Yeah, he's just giving you an overlap, literally, like nine months through last year, nine months through this year, and he's in the I same would, business. I would venture online. to say, I would venture to say double, two hundred and sixty. No, he's at one point two million. He's Mom, made more what? money. He's made more money in in the last nine months than probably in the lifetime of, it seems like roughly close to the lifetime of, of from a net income standpoint of, of his, of his business. And, you know, I instantaneously was like, and he was talking about like why, and, you know, his average selling price is up really big because of shortages. Uh, his marketing costs plunged because, well, you don't need to advertise when people are just piling on to buy your stuff. Right. So you've had two dynamics on, on when you have a very razor thin gross margin business that saw a huge margin expansion. Right. You know, like th how that works out, you know, just fl flows right to the bottom line. What's he in the business of? Pet supplies, dog cages, okay. stuff like that. Right. And, and so I was just like, I mean, when you look at that, right, like we were talking about the cars, you know, used car prices don't go up 7% in a month. Right. Right. That's a very extreme thing. So when people talk about it, like, I mean, I remember it was maybe somebody who was, Maybe my my younger brother or, or a friend was talking about how like they went in to get uh, a car early in COVID, and what happened with the cars is it's not complicated. You shut down new car production. What do you do when you buy a new car? You do what? You trade in an old car, right? <laughs> so like you 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 cut the supply and you you broke it. You broke a supply chain, a lot of things. But what, what's interesting, at least for us, from from looking at this from a stock market standpoint, and from like when you look at different businesses, is that you have this Amazon, like you're not going to sit on a conference call with Amazon or Shopify or management and, and, and you know, William Sonoma or whoever, uh, Target or Walmart, and they're going to be like, everything is, our margin expanded, this happened, that happened, that happened, but there will be a cliff. This guy's like, uh, 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 where is it? It's coming, right? I mean, like he's, he knows from his business, he's like, this not doesn't sustain itself or everybody's going to be selling dog cages. Yeah. You know what I say to that? What? Hoo-ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anything else? Daniel, any other questions? No, that was my last one was that comparison. So, All right. Well, I mean, thanks for your time, bro. And by the way, how's Busta Rhymes? Any, uh, are you going to be in, a, in any music videos again anytime soon? Uh, thank, thank you again. Uh, thank you again for your time. I really much, uh, very much uh, enjoyed uh, your thoughtful, provocative questions. Uh, Busta, I have not spoken. The last I heard from him was uh, when I read what the, the Malaysian gentleman had said about him. <laughs> Who, J-Lo? No, no. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. J-Lo? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
That's the last time I've, uh, I've heard. The guy, who was pulling, the, the guy who was pulling him around on a rickshaw? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, dude. All right, yeah. Thanks a lot, Ali. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, Thank thanks. you, gentlemen. Thank and you keep, very keep, much. And keep us posted. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish a new episode every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd be really grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you again for listening and see you next week.